Welcome to C's for Creepy. My name is Elise. And my name's Courtney. Join us every week as we discuss our favorite true crime and paranormal stories. From A to Z. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of C is for Creepy. Thank you again for all the love and support that we got on last week's episode. It's really great to see all of you guys out there watching. Yes, we really are enjoying this and we're excited to keep the ball rowing, rolling. Yeah. Yeah, so we're just going to get right into it this week. Today's um, letter is G. Yes, so this one is mm, kind of a stretch, I will admit. I'm covering gold digger killers. Yes. <laughs> okay, so Merriam-Webster has two definitions for gold digger the first being one who digs for gold <laughs> okay we're gonna focus on the second definition which is a person whose romantic pursuit of relationship with or marriage to a wealthy person is primarily or solely motivated by a desire for money okay yeah so while anyone can be a gold digger the most common stereotype is of a young attractive woman who gets with a much older wealthier man this woman might simply wait for her spouse to die get a divorce and profit from any legal proceedings or possibly stay and reap the benefits while giving minimal effort in return there is of course one more option murder Oh, man. I'm just thinking about the one time, like, this guy I was seeing called me a gold digger when it's like, homie, you make no money. <laughs> Sorry, what you gonna do? Buy me my coffee? <laughs> Sorry, that's all that's going through my brain right now. <laughs> but murder. <laughs> yes, for that Tim's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, no. If I was gold digging, it would not be for that Tim's. It would at least be for Starbucks. Yes, you know you gotta have standards. Some standards. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Continue. Okay, so generally, women who kill their spouses or relatives for financial profit are typically known as black widow killers. But I'm going to be covering that topic at as its own episode eventually, so I'm not going to get too deep into those statistics at this time. So instead, I'm going to touch on personality traits of gold diggers. So from the site, flyingmonkeysdenied.com. <laughs> <laughs> Flying monkey, okay. Yes. It is a support site for people who have dealt or lived with a narcissist. So I just really enjoyed the name and I had to leave it in there. I like it. Yes. They posit that a somatic narcissist, so that is basically someone who sees themselves as irresistible. Oh, the audacity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they are the prime candidates to be gold diggers. With these status-seeking individuals, it's that all Timmy's. <laughs> it's all about what you can do for them. Okay. <laughs> bring me that coffee. Oh Give me my double doubles. 
that 215 double double. <laughs> girl, you splurging. Okay. It's all about the brand. So. Fuck. What you can do for me. <laughs> oh, yeah, I went there. It's going to be one of those nights, huh? <laughs> so they feel like they're. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh my god. I never thought I'd laugh so hard at that comment made against me in my entire life. Uh, oh. I love it. I love it. Um, okay, so they feel like they are entitled to the material rewards without having to work for them. They can be extremely jealous of other relationships that could threaten the gold digger and her marks relationship because... They want it all for themselves. They don't want to share. They don't want people to push them away from them and their financial gain. So things like children are just... Mm, mm Okay. Yeah. So that's all my facts. And this case might be a bit of a stretch, but I came across it and I was just so flabbergasted that I had to cover it. This is the case of Sheila LaBerre. Okay. Labar. Yeah. L A B A R R E. Labar. 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 I think. Yeah. So Sheila was born Sheila K Bailey, and she was born on July fourth, nineteen fifty-eight. She was born and raised in Fort Payne, Alabama. Being born on such an iconic day, plus her feisty personality, earned her the nickname Firecracker as she was growing up. Okay. Sheila had an older sister named Lynn Nguyen. Sheila's upbringing has been described as a nightmare. She was sexually abused and verbally abused by her father and his friends. Oh. Yeah. Her older sister, who also endured this abuse, was able to verify the account. Okay. Sheila was able to graduate in 1976 from Fort Payne High School. So Sheila had a few unsuccessful marriages. Married in the late 70s to Ronnie Jennings, Sheila changed her name to Sheila Bailey Jennings. Ronnie Jennings claimed that his wife had mood swings that would turn violent, and Sheila was committed to a psychiatric facility after a suicide attempt. Oh, okay. Sheila claims that she had wanted a divorce from Jennings, but he was unwilling until the early 1980s. Uh, also, January 1981, Sheila married her next husband, John Baxter, and their marriage was very short-lived. And to be completely honest, it was very difficult to tell which marriage was first. Okay. Um, just because the articles that I was reading, they often, like, switched the order of the marriages. So, either way, she was married to two men, and with one of them, she was institutionalized for a little bit. Okay. okay. That's the uh, long and short. Either way, Sheila answered a personal ad in 1987. Was it looking for a wife? The man who placed the ad was named Wilford or Bill Labar, Labar, and he was a chiropractor in the small town of Epping, New Hampshire. Although Bill was very successful at his business and had a large 115-acre horse farm, He wasn't so lucky in love. Bill had also been divorced twice, 
But the 61-year-old was optimistic that companionship was out there. Bill needed Tinder. Well, he did the 1987 equivalent of Tinder. Put an ad in the newspaper. (laughs) Yeah. Love will find me. (laughs) Boy, Sheila delivered that. She offered him he'd been lacking, promising him a relationship. And the 30-year-old also included some nude uh, photographs, some uh, scantless uh, information, you know. Okay. She got that ball rolling. The excitement of having a younger partner or so. Or the nudes. Could have been. Well, like, I mean, he's 61. I can't imagine the last time he saw a uh, (laughs) 30-year-old. Probably 30 years ago. Probably. But, uh, yeah, so either way, Bill was smitten, and Sheila moved in with him that same year. There isn't too much known about their time together, except that they definitely did not marry. Okay. It seems that Sheila married a Jamaican man named Wayne Enos in August 1995. That marriage didn't last long, however, as Sheila divorced Enos in 1996 after claiming abuse and he she filed for a restraining order against him either way during her time with bill and despite the lack of marriage sheila decided to take his name for her own calling herself sheila labar 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 sheila sorry bill passed away in 2000 at the age of 74 okay and it says that his death was due to heart failure. His death was sudden and mysterious, and there was speculation that Sheila was behind it. However, there is no evidence to support that accusation. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So now with her common law partner dead, Sheila had been given, like, she, it looks like Sheila had just kind of given herself power of attorney. Ah. So she inherited the fortunes and property of Bill. Oh. Yeah. His adult children from previous relationships wanted to contest the will, but they were advised that their chances for winning the case would only be like 50-50. And That's not- still 50%. Ah. Uh, they would also have to pay $50,000 up front. So they chose not to pursue legal action. So mm-hmm. Sheila had received a little over $2 million from his estate. Holy shit. Okay. Yeah. So Sheila in 2006 was now 48, and she was on the prowl for a younger man. Okay. She primarily used personal ads and would talk to men on the phone. That's how she met Kenneth County, a 24-year-old man. Sheila lured the young man to the farm in Epping, and the two of them started a uh, romantic relationship. Okay. Kenny's mother, living in Massachusetts, hadn't heard from him for a while and phoned in a missing persons report. Only knowing the town he was in and the woman he had gone off with had a name that started with the letter S. Police in Epping went to the Labar firm, farm, and sure enough, Kenny was there, and he was fine, and he wanted to be there. And I should probably mention that although Kenny was 24, he did have some uh, developmental disabilities. So, like, everywhere I read said that he had the IQ of about a 12-year-old. So, he was very trusting, very just... Okay. Very 
naive. A little bit, yeah, exactly. So later, the police officers run to Sheila and Kenneth at the local Walmart. Only, Kenny didn't look the same. He was covered in bruises and burns, and he was sitting in, like, one of those wheelchairs that uh, Walmart provides. Oh. Yeah. The officers noticed that Sheila was buying a lot of gasoline canisters. Oh. Uh, she was buying many of them, and she was stacking them on Kenny while he was sitting in the wheelchair. Oh, my God. Okay. Five days after the pair was seen at Walmart, the police get a call from Sheila. My house is on fire and Kenny's inside. I wish. For fuck's sakes. Okay. She claims she has evidence that Kenneth is a pedophile. When questioned what evidence, she says she has a recorded confession. The officer asks her to play the tape, which she did, and there's the sounds of the young man throwing up while Labar is getting more frustrated and questioning him and trying to convince, like, make it seem like he himself is saying that he's admitting to this. Mm-hmm. But it ends with her asking why Kenneth passed out. The phone call was a red flag, and the fact that Kenny's mother also hadn't seen him sent the cops back to the Labar farm. Good. As officers pulled up to the house, they saw a large burn pile in the front yard, like right up, like right beside the road. Okay. Yeah. Upon closer inspection, it looked like there was flesh and bones in the pile. Cool. Ready to get the answers, the cops were ready to like get into the house, but Sheila was already there, and luckily she invited them in. The audacity. Mm. Well, the house was a mess. Like, this was once a beautiful farmhouse that this man, like, that Bill had taken such good care of, mm-hmm. and she destroyed it. Oh, God. Like, it stunk. There was rotten food in the sink. Like, there was clutter everywhere. Oh, wow. And there was rabbits just running loose. What an odd. Okay. Immediately, officers noticed Kenny's shoes. But Sheila brushed it off, saying that she had bought him new a new pair. Mm-hmm. So they get to the basement and they notice his new shoes, like mm-hmm. the shoes that she said that she bought for him. So when questioned, like, okay, well, his old shoes are there and his new shoes are there. What shoes is he wearing? Like, where, where where is he? Yeah, that's when Sheila asked the police to leave, and because they didn't have a warrant, they couldn't keep searching, and like. I double-checked this because I feel like, you know, seeing bones should be probable cause and they should be able to, like, do a full search. But it's a farm country. Yeah. Or a farm town. I I don't know. I just think that... Like, I agree. Don't get me wrong. But, like... No, I get what you're saying. I just... I It just blew my mind. Like, you could burn a body in your front yard... And you would still need a warrant to investigate. Yeah. That just, that, like, really just blew my mind when I was looking that up. Fair. So the next day, they did go back with their search warrant. The officers noticed that Sheila was covered in ashes and the burn pile had been cleaned up. So the search commenced. The once beautiful farm was now a madhouse. There was hundreds of rabbits running around everywhere. The fuck? Okay. 
there was so like i had mentioned there was rotten food in the sink like in one of the interviews the uh, officer made a comment there was no seat on the toilet oh jesus so like it, it was chaotic to say the least worst of all there was what appeared to be human blood splattered in multiple rooms okay when they flushed her septic system, they noticed something else interesting. A birth certificate of Michael Deloge, as well as a bullet casing and bone fragments. Michael Deloge hadn't been reported missing, but he was living at a homeless shelter. They theorized that Labar had offered Michael work on the farm and a place to stay, which is how he ended up there. Hmm. Eyewitness accounts started coming forward with someone claiming to have seen Michael running down the long road in the middle of winter, bleeding. When asked what happened, Michael had just responded, Sheila, and he just kept running. Hmm. So while this extensive search was going on, Sheila skipped town. Not surprising. She dyed her hair bright red, took out thousands of dollars, and packed up all of her bunnies. All hundreds of them. Uh-huh. Well, I don't know if it was like literally hundreds, but there was a lot of bunnies just running around everywhere. Oh, okay. While she was gone, DNA results come back with a match for Kenneth. So a murder charge is finally laid against her. Okay. While on the lam, Lobar ends up in Massachusetts and realized toting all of these bunnies around wasn't the most practical decision. She stopped at a pet store where she asked many people to watch her bunnies for her for a few days. Do you imagine that? Could you imagine going to a pet store and some ladies just there with like 50 bunnies being like, can you watch them for a few days? I just need someone to watch my bunnies, please. Right? Jeez. Eventually, someone agrees and offers her to come over for dinner. They're like, I'll watch your bunnies and why don't you come over? While she was with the family, the 11 o'clock news comes on, sharing the story of everything that was going on in Epping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with her cover blown, Sheila was quickly arrested. More DNA results came back, tying Michael Deloge, Deloge's blood to her, like to the crime scene as well. Mm-hmm. But then a twist happened. Sheila admits to killing both men. Why? Because they were both pedophiles and they deserved their death. And she had the recordings to prove it. Oh my god. Yeah. The coerced recordings? Exactly. Okay. So, like, where she pretty much tortured them, trying to get them to confess to being pedophiles. Yeah. Yeah. So, Michael's recording was a videotape. So, and the juries could hear her like off camera attempting to force this confession from the man as mentioned before kenneth was an audio recording mm-hmm. so labar's defense attempted to claim that she was insane at the time of the killings that she was suffering from a delusion that she was an avenging angel well after five weeks of testimony sheila was found guilty for two counts of murder And she is now serving two life sentences without the possibility of parole. And, like, you were trying to clean up your tracks. You were flushing evidence. Like, Mm -hmm. you were cleaning up after yourself. Like, like, if you were truly insane, you wouldn't be covering your tracks. You wouldn't be luring men to a property. No. 
No. So it is possible that Sheila was responsible for more deaths, as after her sentencing, toes were found near the barn door that did not match either victim. Oh, God. And officers also found hundreds of audio recordings of her speaking to men on chat lines. Well, that is the case of Sheila Labar. Ew. Yep. Well, that was an interesting case. I, you know, I, I had seen it. And I was like, man, I gotta cover this. And I was then I was like, ah, oh, it's too much of a stretch. But God, nah, nah. I wanted to cover it anyways. <laughs> We're flexible. I like it. Yeah. Well, that was quite the good story. Yeah. So, for my G, we are going to do Gates of Hell. Oh, damn! That sounds so cool. It's also a bit of a stretch. Okay. You know what? I, I enjoy it. Yeah. So it is the Turnbull Canyon. Okay. The Turnbull Canyon is a four-mile loop trail near Whittier, California. It is part of the Puente Hills Preserve, and it lies in the northern central part of the preserve. It is an east-west canyon with steep drainage. The canyon has a creek at the bottom that supports a narrow strip of riparian woodlands dominated by sycamore trees, while the slopes are covered in coastal sage and native and non-native grasses. Okay. It has been the subject of numerous urban legends related to burned insane asylums, a plane crash, ritual sacrifice, numerous murders... And many people consider it just another story to scare children with the tales of the local haunt. In many cases, the legends can be easily dismissed, but it is doubtful that there was a doorway to hell or that children were sacrificed here. But some legends are more in line with history. Okay. Unfortunately, many people have met their tragic end in this canyon, and one massive casualty is nothing short of a historical event. Okay. Many believe the bloodied history of the canyon begins almost 200 years ago when European colonizers clashed with the native population. These men could certainly be the source of the stories of angry spirits chasing people out of the canyon. More specifically, white males who could easily be seen as intruders. Mm, uh, You know, it's funny how often that keeps happening. Hmm. Right? It's almost Hmm. like there's a pattern. Almost. I'm sorry to say this, but next week's is no better. Okay. (laughs) With the horrible colonizing men. Mm Mm-hmm. So, it doesn't get better. Okay. Much of the lands now encompassing Southern California, including Turnbull Canyon, was forcibly taken from Mexico in the Mexican-American War. Do you know when that was? I don't know when that was, but I know of it. Okay. You're a step ahead of me. Oh, really? Okay. I I didn't actually... There's so many other ones that this wasn't one that I really knew a lot about. Okay. So it was in 1846 to 1848. Okay. In the mid-1840s, there were many conflicts over the ownership of the land in California, which at the time belonged to Mexico. And the U.S. was trying to acquire it. Ah, like they do. As one does. Mm. Early in 1845, William Workman 
became captain of a cadre of American and Europeans. This time period may be the catalyst for some paranormal activity and for the phantom sounds of war drums reported in the canyon. Yeah, that seems accurate. Like, actions have consequences. Mm-hmm. William Workman was awarded 49,000 acres of land, including the canyon, by the governor of California for his service during the war. Workman did not get along well with the Gabrielinos, Gabrielino Indians, who were the original inhabitants of the land. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, big surprise. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Even though the Gabrielinos would later work for him, it's been said that they would raid his property from time to time. I mean, fair. Like, fair. Yeah. Eat the rich, you know. (laughs) Right? The Gabrielinos were understandably upset because prior to Workman's arrival, Spanish conquistadors invaded their land as well. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Father Junipero Serra, a founder of some California missions, recounted in a letter the brutality of the Spanish soldiers to the governor of Mexico. When the... When the tribesmen sought to defend their women, the soldiers killed several with musket balls, and an entire tribe of Gabrielino natives were not slaughtered in the canyon, but some of the men of the tribe were shot by Spanish conquistadors while trying to defend their women from rape. Oh my god. I could see there being some animosity on that land. Uh, A little bit, yeah, some definitely um, unrestful spirits, yeah. Vengeful spirits, if you will. Yeah. Ugh. Mm-hmm. So, William Workman committed suicide after his bank collapsed when the economy of California went bankrupt in the late 19th century. Well. Well. Yeah. <laughs> However, there is no proof Workman was anywhere near or in the canyon when he killed himself. But his ghost has been sighted in the canyon. I mean, if you have enough energy to something, like, I believe that, like, you like a part of you remains there. Or maybe that's, like, his afterlife karma. You know, that could be it, too. Yeah, this is your purgatory. This canyon. You are forced to walk here. Right. You wanted it so bad in your life. Live here. Yeah. That's my speculation, but... <laughs> the canyon was named after a Robert Turnbull. A Scottish immigrant who was very rarely seen sober. (laughs) Turnbull took advantage of the crashed economy to buy the canyon at next to nothing. His plan was to cultivate sheep there and make his fortune from their wool. Two men soon tried to buy the canyon land as they owned the surrounding lands. Turnbull refused them. (laughs) Repeatedly, but finally gave in to the price of $30,000. Damn. No, I did not do the price difference the inflation i did not do it shortly thereafter turnbull fell off a horse due to drunkenness oh man don't drink and drive doesn't matter what right if it moves yeah don't do it Mm -mm. if it's got four wheels or two wheels or legs just don't three yeah trikes probably shouldn't mess with that either no No. or one no unicycle Sorry, that derailed. (laughs) So he then spent the night in jail. 
The next morning, he returned home bruised and beaten, but could not recall what happened to him. The beating would lead to a brain aneurysm, which would lead to him falling off a bridge to his death in what was now called the L.A. River. Wow. Yeah. So, to end the increasingly convoluted story, the men took pity on Turnbull and named the canyon after him. I I mean, I guess... (laughs) Turnbull's death was ruled a homicide, and the murder goes unsolved. Really? Hmm. Well, yeah. Somebody beat him to a pulp while he was drunk. Maybe it was the horse. I'm just going to throw that out there. You know what? I didn't even think about that. Maybe. That's why we don't drink and drive, people. (laughs) The horse did it. Right? So now... We get into some of the deeper stories. The first one is Flight 416. Okay. On April 18th of 1952, the Flight 416 was destined to Los Angeles International Airport. The last contact with the plane was at 3.33 a.m. and indicated it was over the city of La Habra on approach. Despite repeated attempts... No further contact was made, and the plane never landed. Allegedly, the captain of the plane was flying 10 feet below the recommended flight level, probably due to the heavy fog in the area. One wing connected with the canyon wall, sending the plane spinning it out of control and smashing into the ground. Oh my gosh. The plane exploded immediately. Oh no. Yeah. Then, at around 10 a.m. the same morning, a rancher named Hayden Jones was driving around his Whittier Heights ranch when he saw smoke rising from the hills. Concerned, he climbed up the hill to find flames and pieces of steel smashed into a hillside of the canyon. Nearby residents awoke to the sound of the plane crashing. According to police reports, some thought a bomb had exploded. Oh, yeah, I bet. Like, I mean not a bomb but there was an explosion right (sighs) suspected it was a plane were unsure because it seemed so unlikely that a plane would crash into the canyon well i mean like to be fair i I totally understand why they'd be skeptical i mean a mountain would be understandable for a plane to crash into but canyons go low like you gotta be flying pretty low to yeah that bad (laughs) yeah even with fog, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, like, fog, oh, that's wild. Yeah. So, as authorities cleaned up after the crash, they found it difficult to know how many passengers had been on board. Had it not been for a document that had all of the board boarding passes recorded, they may have never known, because some passengers had disintegrated in the flames. Oh, my Wow, that is a hot fire. Yeah, there's a total of 29 people on board flight 416. Oh, man. Thankfully, not thankfully, but, you know, all passengers were said to have died upon impact. At the very least, there was no suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. The apparitions of the passengers and crew of flight 416 have been seen in the canyon. Oh, no. Commonly described as confused... And still looking for help after a crash that they are unaware took their lives. 
An overwhelming feeling of helplessness and fear is sensed by some near the crash site. On the anniversary of the crash, the phantom sounds of the crash, which have been likened to hearing a bomb explode, can be heard. Oh. Next story is Hell's Gate. Woo! Between Skyline Drive and Descending Drive, the meandering path is said to lead to Hell's Gate. However, the path is not paved with the skulls of unbaptized babies, nor is it strewn with dried blood or satanic markings. Is it even a Hell Gate if it doesn't have. Right? But, okay. <laughs> People who hope to come across Satanists will find that the dusty trail leads to a gated fence, topped with rusted barbed wire, covered with signs saying private property and beware of dog. These signs attempt to dispel those looking for adventure, but instead further entice reckless individuals to trespass, and it is easy to see why. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see it gate that says keep out and my first instinct is like really is that a suggestion right (laughs) again people don't trespass yeah like please don't but i would want to i'm just saying the temptation is there yes i agree the looming ramshackle gate provoke curiosity and the dense overgrowth makes it impossible to see what lurks behind rusted chains hold the gate shut a broke warning sign swings in the breeze there is no sign of a guard dog anywhere. Some believe a legendary insane asylum sits beyond these gates. A place where mentally ill patients were mistreated until it burned down in the early 1940s. Oh. Others believe that it's a foundation of an old orphanage. Ooh. I don't know what would be worse. Uh, yeah, neither are good. I do not want to stay at either option. So... What lies on the other side? Mm. According to El Rancho High School student Anthony Martinez, not much. Aww. Just mostly spiders, bottles, and car parts in the surrounding gates bushes. Martinez has visited Turnbull Canyon numerous times and often goes at night. He has hiked the trails, heard the stories, and even trespassed beyond Hell's Gates. It was a path that led up to a stop sign and someone's backyard, said Martinez. Nothing outside the gate suggests the foundation of an asylum, except for a protruding chimney-like structure that can only be seen in the distance. There's always a chance of something or someone hidden in the thick bushes, said Martinez. He will not explore it fully, though. Mm. Yeah. Fair. So... Now, we're going to get into the tragic events of the 21st century. Yes. October 12th, 2002. Again, we're kind of going into your territory a little bit, but... That's okay. Yeah. October 12th, 2002. The body of 17-year-old Gloria Gaxolia was shot in the head on Turnbull Canyon Road before being dragged by a car four miles to Hacienda Heights. Her body was found at the crossroads of Hacienda Boulevard, Colima Road, and it is speculated that, unbeknownst to her killers, her foot had been stuck in a seatbelt. Oh no. For five years, there was no arrest made until a witness came forth identifying her three killers who had been her friends. Aww. Yeah. 
All three were sentenced to life in prison. The killers were afraid Gaxiola would testify against them for a robbery they had committed and decided to kill her as she was a witness to their crime. Wow, that is freaking rude. Right? Like, if she can witness your crime... But what what possessed you to think that she was going to turn on you? Exactly. Like, I'm sorry, if I were going to commit a crime with one of my friends, you're obviously going to be ride or die or you wouldn't be there. Right. Wow. Not, not that, you know. Well. So, on <laughs> August 4th of 2009... Christine Martinez was stabbed and slashed with needles before being left to die in the canyon. This brave young lady survived and sought help. She was able to identify her attackers and testified so they could all be incarcerated. Good. Good for you. Right? And then on March 3rd, 2011, an unidentified woman's body was found hidden in one of Turnbull Canyon's ravines. Parts of her body were missing. According to the Whittier Daily News, she was found 10 feet deep in an embankment with her left arm missing and her body heavily decomposed. Her identity has never been discovered. Aww. That's too bad. Yeah. So, some other paranormal activity and urban legends that come from this canyon. Turnbull Canyon are filled with frightening sights of the ghosts that have been murdered or died in the canyon. There has been speculation of sacrificed children, rumors of KKK members meeting in secret, Mm. stories of witches and Satanists performing rituals, and even human sacrifices are common tales that warn folks against entering the canyon. The most benign reports is of hikers hearing phantom footsteps as they walk the canyon trails. Like echoes? No, like hearing someone walking behind you. Oh, ooh, yeah, that would freak me out. Yeah. It is said that Native Americans avoid Turnbull Canyon. It is known to them as... Why did I not put a um, pronunciation guide? I apologize here. Hataknuk? Hataknuk? The Dark Place. Yes. There are all kinds of rumors and speculations about the Gabrielina, Gabrielino Tongva tribe and their avoidance of the canyon. These include warnings of witches and ghosts that reside there. There are persistent stories of cultists wearing black robes being responsible for kidnapping children from orphanages. One story tells of a local man coming upon a cloaked group of young boys suspended upside down on a cross. Oh. Ghosts of the murdered children have been seen in the canyon at all hours of the day and night. <gasps> oh, I... You expect ghosts at nighttime, but a daytime ghost? You definitely don't expect it. Oh, that's disgusting. Like, you got your hours. Just keep to those hours. Don't work overtime. Right? Oh. Have some downtime. Right? Like, you need... You die. <laughs> right? Yeah. Some visitors report seeing bodies hanging from what has been dubbed the hanging tree. Oh. The body of a man is seen one moment, and then the next it's gone. Ugh. I hate how they have a tree named the hanging tree. That's how often this is seen. Honestly, I... Yes, 
But when I actually Googled it to look into it, there wasn't a whole lot on it. Okay. That makes any sense. Okay. So okay. it might have just been one person's account. And that just spread. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. Other activities felt and witnessed at the canyon. Apparitions, including shadow people. Remember your old apartment of shadow people? Oh, fuck. Gross. I, that was disgusting. Mm-mm. Feelings of not being alone, being watched, not being wanted, sadness, anger, and pure malevolence. The canyon causes electrical disturbances, light anomalies. People get the sense of being touched or poked. Ew. They've been pulled from unseen presences, unexplained mists, phantom sounds and laughter, screams, voices, and unexplained noises. Ew, yuck. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Mm-mm. The dark energy of the canyon is palpable. Visitors who come... For the views, don't stay long and report the feeling of being chased out of the canyon and watched intensely. Oh, God. Could you imagine if, like, you didn't know that this was a haunted place? Like, you had no idea that there was hauntings here. You're like, I'm just going to come for the view. I heard it's beautiful. You get there and someone's watching me. Right? There's screams and I got poked. How about these children playing? Like, could you imagine thinking it's just a wholesome day and a bunch of kids are playing in the valley and, like... Then the hanging tree appears. <laughs> right. No. Hard pass. Mm-mm. So, um, some of my references for this is the QuakerCampus.org. Good old Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. OurParanormalWorld.com. Nice. UsGhostAdventures.com. And ParanormalLoveToKnow.com. Nice. Yeah, so that's the story of the Hell's Gate at Turnbull Canyon. That is awesome. Like I said, small stretch, but... That works. I like it. That's You will see as we get further down the alphabet, there's going to be um, a few stretches. Like, let's be honest here with the paranormal side, they're all stretches. <laughs> Either way, it's our theme and we're sticking with it. Yeah. You just got to bear with us. <laughs> we'll justify it somehow. <laughs> yeah. With enough wine, we'll figure it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so thanks again, everybody, for watching. Please make sure that you rate and subscribe to our episodes. Yes, please do. We love the feedback. Um, if you have any suggestions or comments, uh, email us at c4creepy at gmail.com. And I should specify that's C-F-O-R creepy. So, just, yes. Please send us an email. We want to hear from you. Yes, and if you have any suggestions or stories for our nocturnal novellas section, Please make sure to send those in to c4creepy at gmail.com and we'd be happy to go through those and maybe add them to our monthly bonus episodes. Absolutely. You'll have to tune in next week when we cover our H stories. So thanks again for listening, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to C is for Creepy. We put out weekly episodes every Tuesday going through the creepy alphabet. Check out our website at acast.com slash c is for creepy or on Facebook at 
C is for Creepy Podcast. Or on Instagram at C for Creepy Podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or suggestions, please email us at C for Creepy at gmail.com. Artwork done by Alexis Daly. Check out her work at L-E-X-X-A underscore artwork on Instagram. See you next week. Bye.